Hi, everybody. Welcome to Evolve, where we focus on the evolution of leadership. And I'm Kim Ford, your host. And today I have a very special guest. Ian, could you please introduce yourself and your company? Uh, hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. Uh, Ian Ziskin here. I'm the president of Exec Excel Group, which is a coaching and consulting firm that I founded uh, about 12 years ago. I do a lot of coaching of senior level leaders and quite a bit of leadership development work and also have a high interest in the subject of uh, leading change, which is uh, what led me to uh, help put this book together that I know we're going to be talking about as part of our conversation. But prior to that, I spent about 28 years working in large companies, primarily in human resources. And toward the latter part of my corporate career, I was the chief human resources officer for two separate companies. So I have a little bit of a blend of the corporate perspective, I guess, and also the entrepreneurial bent as well. It's great to be with you today. Oh, thank you. Well, let's talk about why did you write the book, The Secret Sauce for Leading Transformational Change? Yeah, so this book, uh, The Secret Sauce for Leading Transformational Change, as you said, uh, as the title would suggest, is um, really focused on this whole notion of what leaders can do uh, around transformational change. It kind of started uh, a little over a year ago, frankly, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, you know, observing what was going on in society and with individuals and inside of organizations who were dealing not only with uh, COVID and its ramifications, but also uh, economic impact and uncertainty and people wrestling with remote work and uh, families uh, with kids wrestling with remote school and political divisions that seem to be emerging also as a result of all of this. And it uh, got me thinking about what it takes for people to survive uh, or maybe thrive uh, in some cases uh, in periods of large scale transformational change. So that was really impetus number one. And then impetus number two was uh, I lead a consortium of independent coaches and consultants, many of whom have high interest in this topic uh, of leading transformational change. And when it's really a chance to pull together a wide variety of perspectives, a lot of different voices into a book focused on the topic, but not do so in a way that was only Ian's perspective on the world, I thought it would be more valuable and interesting if we had a blend of those perspectives. So now I'm kind of fond of calling it uh, 200 voices in under 200 pages because uh, we've got a lot of different perspectives in the book, but tried to keep it practical and short because they tell me most people don't read books anymore. So we're <laughs> trying to make it digestible. Oh, that's awesome. Well, in the book, you mentioned from what to what. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, in my personal experience, uh, this is this is Ian's view, uh, probably the single most important question uh, anyone can ask, you know, whether it's at the individual level, the team level, the organizational level, or maybe even the societal level, is where are we coming from and what are we moving toward? Most transformational change efforts, you know, big change efforts, oftentimes in my experience seem to skip directly to where are we heading 
yeah. with a lot of confusion and chaos around that, but without a lot of thought to what do we need to preserve that got us here to the place we are in the first place? Yeah. What do we need to be careful not to um, mess up in the spirit of trying to introduce new changes because uh, where we came from and that past capability and perspective turns out to be equally important to where we're heading next. And that's why I think it's the most important question. No, that makes a lot of sense. And you talk, you also list seven different competing priorities or paradoxes that have to be mastered. Can you give us an idea of, of some of those kind of and why? Yeah, yeah. I'll give you a couple of examples and we can go deeper if you decide that you want to do that. But in the book, uh, I talk about this as uh, the beauty of and, if you will. You know, I, I think leading transformational change in many ways is a lot about handling competing priorities and mastering paradox. And what you end up finding is it's really not so much about either or. Many things have to do with how do you uh, blend something and something else. So a couple of examples of this that really stood out for me. One uh, has to do with the importance of facts and feelings. So here's what I mean by that. You know, uh, most change efforts in one way or another rely on a set of facts mm -hmm. as to what the impetus for change and doing something differently or better might be. Now, interestingly enough, you know, when you're dealing with uh, with people, we have this enormous capacity to dismiss or deflect or ignore or explain away the facts that don't necessarily reinforce, you know, our preferred view of the world. And I think the scientific term for that is human nature because we're all pretty good at it. Uh, but at the same time, what you recognize is because humans are involved in making these decisions, a lot of it has to do with uh, what comes from the heart and what comes from the head. Uh, best analogy I can offer, we talk a little bit about in the book, is uh, people's desire to lose weight. Uh, they <laughs> on the scale, they look at the number, uh, it's irrefutable data. Yeah. Uh, they may be motivated or they may not be motivated to do the diet and exercise that we all know is required uh, if you want to lose 10 pounds. So uh, getting on the scale is not enough. You know, having the data staring you in the face is not enough. You also have to be motivated from the inside uh, to yep. make changes. And I think every transformational change I've ever seen or been part of or we wrote about in this book uh, can be explained in, in that simple way. Uh, I think a second example of this idea of reconciling competing priorities or the, the beauty of and would be uh, speed and rhythm. So a lot of transformational change efforts uh, talk about the importance of doing things faster mm -hmm. and uh, you know picking up the pace. Uh, I would agree. I think generally our experience is that people have a tendency to wait too long to make the big difficult changes that they need to make. Most people, when you talk to them in retrospect, you know, rarely will they say, uh, I regret we moved too fast. Typically they will say, uh, we moved too slowly and that was a mistake. However, 
um, it's not all about speed. Uh, the other aspect of this, particularly when you're talking about bringing a lot of other people along with you on the journey, uh, is what I like to describe as rhythm. There's a certain pace to things that people need to follow along with and be part of, typically because most leaders will tell you things are moving too slowly and most victims or recipients of change tend to feel like it's moving too fast. And both are probably right from their individual perspectives. But uh, I play a little bit of guitar. I like to use the analogy of music and musicians. You know, rarely will a musician tell you that playing a song faster and getting to the end quicker makes the song better. Yeah. Uh, typically, what they're going to say is we have to move in a certain rhythm. Everybody's on the same sheet of music. We're playing in harmony because, um, you know, music without rhythm is noise and uh, music with rhythm, you know, obviously can be can be beautiful and harmonious. So we're looking for both. We're looking for speed and rhythm. Those are a couple of examples of the uh, paradoxes, I think, that need to be reconciled. Yeah, and it's kind of funny when I think of the workplace environment, and I think of all the changes that have occurred during COVID and how, you know, we have a lot of, you know, distributed workforces and hybrid type of workforces now. I think that rhythm and harmony has drastically changed, right? I think there's a lot of now completely different rhythms, a lot of out of sync, 100%. And my my daughter's a, a guitarist as well, my oldest daughter. And 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 I I hear you. I mean, she was you know had a this big competition and she had to play this classical piece. And if you sped it up, it it didn't work. It didn't work at all. Right. And as a matter of fact, it actually had to be played at the perfect pace to pull off that piece. And so when you think of that, think of how complex now our workplaces have become because of this out of rhythm, right? You're out of rhythm because you're not sitting next to each other necessarily. You know, it's, you know, you're, we're, we're communicating like we are right now through a computer that, you know, has sometimes a slight delay or, you know, something unique to it. So it is hard to get a rhythm. Like any concepts, I mean, you've been in HR, like talk to me about like, how do you make that work? work? Do you have any advice for people now in the workforce that are trying to figure out how to make music, right? Yes, yes. It's, it, this is a huge challenge right now. Uh, you're expressing it really well, and uh, I'm experiencing very much the same thing, you know, the clients and the people that I work with. Uh, a couple of things that are seem obvious to me, but they're really hard, right? So first of all, what a lot of people will say is, you know, in, in situations like we're in uncertainty, but also uh, lack of human connection, uh, you want to over communicate, right? So communicate, 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 make sure that you're interacting with people on a more regular basis, which I totally sign up for, uh, except for one important uh, factor, which is when most people think about communicating, they're spending most of their, their energy thinking about telling. I need to tell you more about what you need to do and what's going on and what the goals of the organization are and what we're trying to accomplish. All of those things are important. But what's even more important that gets ignored a lot is listening, uh, <laughs> making sure that you understand where other people are coming from and what are the issues that they're dealing with and what are the problems, not in, only at work, but uh, in their personal and home lives that they're working their way through. That's where the chemistry really comes from. You know, I think as much or more from the listening uh, yeah. and the the corollary to listening is something that you hear a lot of people talking about over the last couple of years, 
at least in a much uh, higher degree, uh, and that is empathy. You know, trying to understand as a leader or a person the place that the other person is coming from and the problems and issues and obstacles that they're trying to overcome and how that has an impact on their ability not only to produce at work, but, uh, you know, mental health and, and a high degree of engagement and people feeling like they're part of something bigger than themselves. All of those things cannot happen nearly as well if empathy is absent. And I've learned a lot about that, you know, just myself, you know, from my own uh, way of interacting with with people, making sure or trying to make sure that I understand better where they're coming from. And in order to do that, you have to listen a lot more than you probably would ordinarily think you should. Yeah, absolutely. And what about some of the common themes in your book? Um, you talked about a lot of different perspectives. Were there common themes that resonated from all those people when you combine them together? Yes, yes. There, there are a, a number of common themes. Uh, one of the ways I would describe it that we talk about in the beginning, middle, and the end of the book is this idea of, not surprisingly, there really is a secret sauce for leading transformational change. So you have all of these contributors who wrote essays, you know, all from their own individual angles. We have a lot of interviews that were conducted with senior level leaders who themselves, you know, have many experiences driving transformational change. We have, uh, you know, well over 150 people contributing to a survey about their uh, experience as a leader of change or as a victim of change. Uh, and so there's, you know, 10 themes, if you will, in the, in the secret sauce. I know we don't have time to go through all of them today, but let me offer a few. Yeah. Uh, just kind of give you a perspective of some things that really came through consistently. One being uh, this idea of start with truth, talent, and timing, right? And so the, the combination of those things, what do I mean by that? Uh, truth is really all about define reality. Situation <laughs> is what it is. We are where we are. We might prefer a different set of circumstances than we're in. Uh, and people do tend to waste a lot of energy uh, denying the data, like we were talking about earlier, or explaining away things that are happening around them. Right. With you know great conviction. The only problem is the more time and energy you spend on that, uh, the more time you waste in addressing the problem that's actually still there, staring you in the face. So truth matters a lot. Uh, the talent element is surround yourself with people who can actually make change happen because you're not going to do it by yourself, no matter how good or smart or capable you may be. And timing, uh, we alluded to this a little bit earlier as well. Generally speaking, in order for transformational change to take hold, you have to move faster than feels comfortable to you. Yeah. And it's really all about, you know, picking up the pace and not dwelling on things that um, you really can't control. Uh, another element of the secret sauce that really jumped out pretty, pretty vividly in my experience was this idea of go first, but not alone. Right. So as I was saying, uh, leading transformational change is really all about leaders, you know, doing some things they need to do, but uh, you're not going to get there by yourself. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out one of the big ahas for me in the book was understanding that while having leaders who can lead transformational change is important, what's even more important is the idea of leadership, meaning that no matter where you sit in the organization and no matter what your job title says, you can actually be part of the transformation of the organization based on what you know you or I do, rather than waiting around for somebody else to uh, to tell you about that, right? Um, I think another element of this um, secret sauce that turned out to be, from my perspective, really valuable, was the idea of love influencers and resistors. You know, we spend a lot of time when we're leading change, looking for people who are like-minded, you know, mm-hmm. believe in what we're doing, are supportive of what we're doing, and uh, want to be part of the, the change. And, and they can have a very heavy influence on everybody else around them, especially if they're highly regarded and highly respected. They don't have to be in leadership roles to do that. Uh, however, there's also a very strong tendency to dismiss people who ask hard questions uh, or seem to be in some way skeptical. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to love those people too, because if you dismiss them too quickly, you'll kind of miss out on the, uh, the difficult things that they're asking about that probably need to be addressed too. Uh, yeah. Not the things that are easy to do or that everybody agrees need to be done, which is why we describe it as uh, you know love influencers and love resistors as well. Yeah, it sounds like what you're saying, too, is to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Absolutely. And quite frankly, I think, at least in, in my my lifetime, any time, you know, change is good. Um, but, you know, time kills lots of things, right? So you do have to move quickly. You have to adapt. You have to be okay with it. And and a lot of people are just so afraid of change. I mean, I've run into it, whether it's in my family, whether it's friends, whether it's colleagues, um, clients of ours. And um, I think it can be a good thing. And I think especially, you know, on the with the pandemic and, you know, hopefully we're on the other side of that. I think a lot of companies are experiencing change that they never anticipated and they're being forced into it. And so I think it's one of these times in life where you actually have to just grab it and accept it and move forward or you're going to be left behind. Yes, and and just to build on what you were saying, the risk of not taking action is often higher than the risk of taking action, right? So to your point about fear, uh, one of the other things I, I think I've learned personally about putting the book together, there's always this debate when you're talking about change of do people actually hate change or not? Right? And <laughs> I love change personally. So yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm a somebody, I'm a somebody who's, uh, you know, more, more change driven maybe than the average person. But the conclusion that I came to on average, you know, from putting the book together was on average, people do hate change. However, uh, they actually hate failure more. So, so, <laughs> so you, then you give up a choice, failure yeah, or change. Right. I mean, literally, you're, you're kind of, of explaining to 
yeah. you know, fear is real. Yeah. Resistance to change is real. The, the hatred of change, I think, is real. It needs to be accounted for. One of the ways to account for all of that is uh, most people hate failure and don't want to be part of an organization or a team that's failing. And so if you can draw a more con connected line between the, the difficult actions we're about to take yeah. to change and improve things and minimize the risk of us failing at the end, because if we do nothing, the risk is actually fairly high of us failing at the end, then I think you have a fighting chance of, of, of bringing people along with you. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And what are some important steps leaders should take? One of the steps we haven't talked about yet in this conversation is while, while there's a huge amount of importance on a vision, <laughs> what is it we're trying to achieve? You know, uh, in the book, I call it um, define, align, and refine the what and why. You know, organizations put a lot of energy on the what and the why and painting this you know, vision or picture of what we're trying to achieve long-term. It's extremely important. But the step that often gets overlooked because it's not as sexy, frankly, uh, <laughs> is the execution piece, right? You know, what are the steps we're gonna take to keep us on track to minimize the risk of being distracted by shiny objects by figuring out, you know, what needs to be done first, second, and third, because, um, you know, to paraphrase Thomas Edison, uh, there's a fine line between vision and hallucination, and so a lot of organizations put the en the energy into the vision, but much less energy into the execution. That's a step that gets skipped over, and it's done with um, great peril, I would say. Yeah. No, very, very true. And what, like, talk about a takeaway. If if leaders could take away something, if people could take away something from your book, what would you want them to be that takeaway? Yeah, I think one of the things we talk about at the beginning and then at the end of the book is, you know, what does pizza have to do with leading transformational change? You know, it's gotten a lot of people's, <laughs> gotten a lot of people's attention. So it's kind of a pizza analogy, if you will, that, you know, the way I, I tend to think about it. And here, here's why I bring it up. Um, you know, you go back in history, uh, pizza, 997 AD uh, in Gaeta, Italy. That's when it was thought to be invented. Uh, it's been a lot of years, you know, since pizza first came on the scene. Uh, and in many people's minds, you know, fairly traditional. However, if you look at shapes and sizes and toppings and cheeses and crusts, and preparations and the outlets, the places you can find pizza uh, and the various secret sauces that go into it. It's been a complete reimagination, redefinition, repositioning of something so basic, you know, as pizza over these many years that uh, has had to happen as a result of a variety of external and internal influences and trends to keep pizza relevant. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think the analogy is, is very much the same for the individual, the team, the organization. And that is don't let tradition and the way you've always been doing it 
stand in the way of understanding what are the redefinitions and the reconstitution of the the ingredients in the recipe, if you will, uh, yeah. to keep yourself, your team, your organization, or maybe even the society that you live in relevant and ready for what the world is now throwing at us, by the way, most of which we do not control. So it's really a response in many ways to things that are coming at us. And if you ignore it, you know, pizza would still be the way that it was a thousand years ago, and it probably would be um, not only irrelevant, but um, no longer on the menu, so to speak. Yeah, and it's funny is the only thing we can control is the way we respond to it as well. And so that's where change comes in. That's where making, taking action comes in where you don't have a choice. Yeah, yeah. So one of, one of my favorite quotes that, you know, came through as, as we were putting the book together was believe in yourself because if cauliflower can become pizza, you can become anything. Uh, and that's <laughs> kind of my new, my new mantra now in life. Uh, that's hysterical, right? Yeah, the cauliflower crust, right? I, I don't think I've tried it to this date. I People say it's good, but it's no different than the cauliflower gnocchi to me. And I'm like, wow, that's just weird. But I, I remain uh, mildly skeptical. I, I, I guess yeah, I guess. exactly. Now, have you tried it? I haven't. So. Okay, so you need to, especially right, if you're... Right. Well, if I'm going to follow my own advice, I guess I'm going to have to. But. Exactly. Oh, well, the purpose of Evolve is to allow leaders to learn, connect, and grow together. And Ian, thank you so much for taking your time today and uh, really look forward to following you and uh, love our visitors to tune in and, uh, and see what you have to say for sure. So thank you again. Thanks for having me, Karen. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. Thank you.